Welcome to Thrive Lathrop Podcast. Here at our church, we believe that everyone can thrive. Make sure to subscribe to our channel and enjoy this life-changing message. Family, I am super excited. Uh, as Pastor Chris said, we're starting our Your Story Matters series, uh, and I can't, I, I can't wait. First service was so good. I'm excited to, to share with you this morning. But before I get started, I know he's watching online. Can we honor our incredible lead pastor, Pastor Chris Scoes, and his wife, Vanessa? Come on. I know, I know y'all could do better. They're incredible. How many love your lead pastors? They are awesome. They really are. They're at home with their baby, Psalm. She was born last Sunday, so uh, they're still at home with her. But I know, again, they're watching online. And they love you guys very much. And I just, I just again, want to honor Pastor Chris, um, incredible pastor, incredible leader, incredible friend. He's one of my closest friends. And, and I really, I know I would not be here um, w- without Pastor Chris. And so that's, I think, some of the power of why we do this, this series, Your Story Matters, because God has intertwined our two stories. And, and it's so incredible. And I believe there's people all in the room who, their story matters. Um, and, and so I'm just so grateful to Pastor Chris. And one more time, can we get up for Pastor Chris and Vanessa? Uh, so, so the title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is No Plan B. Someone say, No Plan B. And this has been kind of the theme or the decision that I had to make in my life was I had to get to a place where I, where I lived out this Christian walk with no plan B. Uh, I believe God has called us and challenging us today to live with no plan B. So if you can stand with me, family, as we uh, prepare to read the word, we're going to read uh, Luke chapter 9. Uh, verses 57 through 62. In a little context, Jesus is, is on his way uh, to Jerusalem and he's going village to village. And before he gets to Jerusalem, he sends people ahead of him to get things ready uh, for him in Samaria, but they reject him. Um, so Jesus rebukes Samaria and he, and he goes to another village and they're walking along the road. And this is where we're picking up. So Jesus is, and some followers are, are walking along the road. And it says this, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your truth that that allows us to walk out your word. God, I thank you for your presence that is so evident in this room. I thank you uh, for your kindness that leads men to repentance. Lord, I pray that you would just continue to do an incredible work in each one of our hearts. I thank you for every person in the room, God. They're here for a reason. Their story matters. I pray today they would be able to connect with my story and you would do something special in the room. In Jesus' name, Thrive said, amen. 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 You can be seated, family. All right, I, uh, I'm super excited because I get to tell y'all a little bit about me, so um, I can't really mess that up, you know what I'm talking about, it's my, it's my, it's my story, my upbringing, I, uh, I grew up uh, youngest, uh, well, I, we, I only had one older sister, but I still say youngest, like, like I had like six siblings, I don't know, youngest of two, I guess, and uh, I come from an Irish-Italian family, so everyone has hot blood, we're loud, and we talk with our hands. 
There's a reason they give me the handheld and not the lapel because my hands would be moving too fast. You know what I'm saying? And so we are, we are allowed people. Anyone ever had a moment where you realized your family was not like other families? Anybody? Uh, the other, the last year, Alex came over to my house, Pastor Chris's little brother, and we have a whole family get together, all of us. There's like 30 of us, 30 Italian-Irish people, right? And, and um, everybody's talking, and I'm just so used to the chaos. Like, I'm just so used to, everyone's loud, everyone's talking, everyone's eating, everyone's just in your face, and, and he stops, and he looks at me, and he goes, bro, your family's loud. <laughs> I said, yours isn't? You know, you know, it's like that, this is, I thought that was normal. Everybody around me has, my entire life has always been in my family, a very big personality. My uncles, my aunts, my dad, my mom, especially my sister, if she watches, I love you, but you're a way bigger personality than I will ever be. And so this began to, I believe, I didn't realize it as I was growing up, but this began to do something in my life where as I felt everybody around me was such this huge personality, I kind of began to be, become like a quiet kid a little bit and take the, take the back seat a little bit. I began to be a little bit insecure because I knew that I had people around me who, were, who, who, weren't, who weren't afraid to talk, you know what I'm saying? So I felt my voice kind of was like, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just chill back here. Anyone, anyone else, you know what I'm talking about? Any other babies of the family? Sometimes that happens to the baby in the family. We're just like, all right, y'all are older. Y'all are going to talk over me anyways. Y'all going to take the remote anyways. You, you know what I'm saying? So I'm just going to sit here and... Um, but I love my family. I really do. I had a very loving family. My mom, my dad, both incredible parents, um, both worked very hard, and, and, and I grew up in a very nice, nice area, nice home. I have no complaints about that. I, uh, I grew up never feeling a need for anything, so I'm, I'm very um, grateful that I was able to grow up secure in that. Um, as I grew up, I grew up going to Catholic uh, school and church, so I was just, we was full-on Irish, Italian, Catholics, okay, and I went kindergarten through eighth grade every single day to Catholic school. That's why I cannot dress, okay, because I wore the same thing every day for nine years of my life. My wife always messes with me because she's like, you need to wear something cooler. I'm like, I don't know how. It's all I got. You know what I'm saying? It's, and and, and I, never, I never learned because just, that's just who I was. You know what I'm saying? And, and if I wasn't wearing my uniform, I was wearing my sports uniform. So I was always never having to dress myself. It was awesome until I got to high school and realized I have to actually pick something out. And so, yeah, I just, yeah, that's why I can't dress, y'all. But uh, growing up Catholic, I, I grew up kind of in a religious understanding of Jesus. I, I, I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't really develop a connection with him at a young age. I, my understanding of faith was religion. My understanding of faith was act, just action and just what, you, what you're supposed to say and the prayer you need to pray and the thing you need to say in order that you're right with God. And so I didn't really have a relationship with Jesus. I felt like I knew a lot about Jesus, but I didn't really know Jesus. And so I, as I grew up, I began to see the people around me um, also knew a lot about Jesus, but they didn't really know Jesus. And so I began to think this whole thing was kind of fake because I was like, well, what? if they could act crazy but talk about God and then they could just pray five prayers and they're good, then uh, okay, I'm just gonna do that. You know what I'm saying? So I, uh, I, I kind of began to get a little trouble as I got older. The second my parents um, told me I didn't have to go to church no more, I was gone. I was that kid. Now it's so funny what God has done in my life, the U-turn. Now I'm here at grad day getting to encourage kids to stay strong in the way of the Lord, but I was that kid that was gone. And again, I grew up kind of quiet, quiet kid. Um, because of that upbringing, I felt 
uh, what, what began to take place in my heart was some insecurities, was some insignificant feelings because I felt like I wasn't as big of a personality as those around me. And I remember um, going from middle school to high school. I went from a class of 30. So I knew 30 people, these same 30 people, my entire nine years of school. Like when we got a new student, it was like the craziest thing in the world. What? Seventh grade? We got a new kid? You, like, any other private school kids know what I'm talking about? Okay. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Like, we got a new kid. You know, like, we, we were so excited. And I went from a class of 30 to a class of 450. And I felt even more insecure. And how many know sometimes when you go into high school, you feel a little insecure anyways. As a freshman, you're like the, the small one on campus. But, but these, this made these feelings of insignificance even worse because I'm like, great, I'm going to high school. I don't know anybody. Everyone in my class went to St. Mary's. Not only do I not know anybody, I don't know how to dress. I don't know what to wear. Thanks, Mom. So now I got to figure out what to wear, and I'm picking things out the week before, and, and my sister's like, that looks terrible. I'm like, well, thanks, gee, thanks. Why don't you help me, you know? No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I, 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 I grew up with these feelings. I remember going to high school, this big high school. I went to Tracy High. I remember feeling indecisive and at times overwhelmed because I felt so overshadowed. And, and I don't know, I, I, I don't think it's just me in the room who has felt these emotions of being overshadowed, overwhelmed, um, anxious because you don't feel like you really fit in anywhere. You don't feel like you really belong. And I remember when I got to high school, I was extremely indecisive at times because I, I, I felt these feelings and, and I didn't realize what I was doing at the time. But looking back now, I, I realized that what I began to do was try to fill the void of insecurity with activity. And so what I thought is if I can make myself really, 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 really busy, then I won't have to sit alone by myself with my insecurities. And so what I began to do is I began to do just about everything you could possibly do. I played football, basketball, baseball. Now, there was something nice about this is I never had to do conditioning for any of them because I was always in the season. Praise the Lord. But I was always a little out of shape, you know what I'm saying, in basketball season. But, but what I do, did is I, I, I went from sport to sport to sport and, 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 and activity to activity and activity. And I was so busy that I tried to just drown out the feelings of insecurity. And in the rare off times I had um, from sports, I still didn't know how to just sit with myself. So I turned to, I turned to like partying, like, like at, a, at a pretty young age, 14, 15 years old, I was drinking all the time, smoking weed every day because I was trying to fill a void and I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know who could fill the void. And so what I just kept doing is I kept spiraling further and further thinking, oh, well, a little bit of weed maybe fixed me for five minutes, but, so, but that didn't do enough. So I'm going to do a little bit. I'm, I'm going to smoke a little bit more. I'm going to do this a little bit more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little deeper into, uh, in, into, into activity to, to hope maybe it can fill the void. And what, I, what began to happen is I was uh, putting fillers in my life, temporary highs to avoid having to have a real conversation with me. Anyone ever avoided that conversation with you? And, and I know that's not a question you're going to raise your hand about, but, but internal, anyone ever, I think sometimes we still, do, we can still do this even as Christians as we try to maybe even do Christian activities and what we would call good things in order to be able to avoid having to, having to actually sit down by ourselves and evaluate our lives. And so I just kept filling and filling and filling and I began to start spiraling lower and lower in self-worth because I began to try to throw things at the pain. But the more I threw at the pain, it actually didn't help. It actually uh, silenced it for a moment, but it began to be more painful. 
I began to go further down the road, and, I, and, and instead of addressing it, what I became really good at was pu- putting up a facade. I will put up a front like everything was all good, but on the inside, I'm this hurting, broken, lost young person who knows I need something, but I don't know what I need. And so all the world had to offer me, I tried it. I tried it. I went after thing, after thing, after thing, relationship, person to person to person, party to party to party to try to fill the void that I could never fill. And so I put on the facade like everything was cool. And from the outside of my life, it would have been like something that, I don't know, some high schoolers would have um, wanted. I, I was a three-sport athlete. I, I had a beautiful girlfriend. I, I had a, I, who's my wife now? Thank the Lord. <laughs> she stayed with me. Yup. I, had a, I was a three-sport athlete. I had a beautiful girlfriend. I lived in a nice house. I had a nice car. I had good grades. But inside, uh, the, the front was terrible, but inside I was broken, hurting, lost, and lonely. I was insecure, anxious, and depressed. From the outside, you would never know it. But from the inside, I was lost. I was completely torn up, and I knew I needed something. And I kept going down path after path to try to fill the void. And everything the world can give me didn't fill the void. I went after it, man. You name it, I went after it, trying to fill that empty spot in my heart. And I got really good. And what I think sometimes is scary is is social media can really make us comfortable in this facade. Oh, we could put filters on anything and make ourselves feel good. We get that instant gratification when 72 people like our posts. I don't get that many likes. 44 people like our posts. We get this instant gratification, and so it makes the facade feel like it's working. But can I tell you, as I grew up, the facade felt like it worked, and it didn't actually bring me healing. It actually brought me more pain because on the inside, I'm like, nobody sees what I'm going through. But it's because I'm not being real with myself and real with Jesus, but I'm putting up a facade like I'm okay. From the outside, everything looked good, but people actually started to believe the facade, so I felt that this was it for me because people are telling me that they wish they played three sports like me or had good grades like me. So people are telling me that they wish they could be like me. I'm like, if you only knew. And so what I began to think is, I I began to think that maybe this is it for me. The anxiety, the depression, uh, maybe it's just my new normal. Anyone ever been in a season where you feel like um, your your mistakes, your anxiety, your depression is the new normal? Dysfunction begins to feel normal? Maybe you're in that place today, but can I tell you that dysfunction doesn't have to be your normal because there's a man named Jesus. I remember one day I, I saw this kid named, named Victor and he would bring his guitar to school every day and he would, play, he, uh, he would play outside of the steps of my math class and he would play really poorly. <laughs> Someone laughed, thank you. First service, they didn't laugh. I think it was because I'm all intense, an intense story. I'm like, y'all can laugh, it was a joke. He would play, it was, he wasn't that bad. I'm just giving him a hard time. But he would play and he would play and he would worship Jesus. And I remember the first day I was like, that's weird. And then the second, <laughs> I just kept going to my class. And the second day he's playing and he's worshiping Jesus and he has this smile on his face. I didn't understand what it was at the time, but what I realized now is that it was the joy of the Lord. And every day I, I began to watch him. I began to watch him from a distance. I was creepy, I guess. I began to watch, and don't, don't play me. I know you do this too. You know what I'm talking, you ever been watching someone and you're like, 
You, you know, like you're, you're watching. We know you're watching at the restaurant, that, that family that has the kid that's crazy. You're watching, you know, you know what I'm saying? You're watching. And I was watching from a distance to see if this thing was a facade, to see if his facade was just as fake as mine. I was trying to figure it out. I was trying to see what is it that he has inside because what I knew about Victor is, is I knew Victor before. Victor w w was cousins of one of my best friends growing up named Stephen. And, and I knew Victor because I had done me messed ups. I, I had sinned with Victor. So I was like, man, what, why, why can he be? happy and I can't. What does Victor have? And so one day I finally threw off all the anxiety and insecurity and went up to him. I said, man, what is it about you? What is it inside of you? What is it about you that makes you joyful? Oh, I didn't call it joyful. I called happy every single day. And he, and he sat down and he laughed. I'll never forget. And he said, I, I met this man named Jesus who changed everything for me. And he began to tell me about Jesus and all the stories from my youth that I knew in my head began to come flooding into my heart. Because for the first time, I actually began to look at Jesus as more than a religious act, but I began to look at Jesus as the man who died on the cross for me, who could free me, who, who brought me freedom, who brought redemption to Victor. And as he began to introduce me to Jesus, I began to, there was a peace that came over me that I could not explain. The Bible says that there is a peace that surpasses understanding and Nothing about my condition had changed. I hadn't done anything to clean myself up, but instantly in a moment, I felt completely different and I didn't know it, but it was the peace that surpassed understanding in the man named Jesus. The wounds of indecisiveness, anxiety, depression began to be healed by the loving voice of a father. My identity as son began to become reality and I realized that everything I was searching for could be found in him. I realized that everything I had been searching for my whole life, I'd been running from. I knew in the back of my mind that maybe I could, maybe I could go back to Jesus, but my understanding was religious. It wasn't a relationship. And as soon as I went back to him, everything changed. So Victor invites me to this little church in Lathrop, and it's weird because we're from Tracy, and, and usually you don't go to a smaller city to go to, to, to go to church. You go to the bigger city, you know what I'm talking about? And at the time, it was this little church that met in this, it, it, it's, like a, it's like a union hall. We called it the ministry center. I don't know why. And, um, and this was 10 years ago, and Pastor Eric just begins to preach. Ah, and I remember sitting in that chair in that moment, and as he does the altar call, there's a burning in my chest. There's a burning in my heart. And I know that with all the indecisiveness and anxiety that I carry in me, there's one thing that I'm not going to be indecisive about, and it's about responding to Jesus. And from that moment on, I said, I'm going to live with no plan B. I'm going to live with no backup plan. I'm going to give everything inside of me to Jesus. The passage I feel my life is best connected with is Luke 9, 57 through 62. If you could put that slide up there. This man, unprompted, says to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What Jesus is telling this man is, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus, I love him, he calls him on it. He says, will you really, even if you don't know where that is? Even if you don't know what to expect. What, what Jesus, Jesus is the son of man. So he's saying, he's saying, will you go when I don't know where I'm going to sleep tomorrow? 
Will you go when you don't know what it's going to cost you? Will you go when you don't know what to expect? And I feel that's the question that Jesus wants to ask us today is will you go wherever he calls you to go? Will you follow wherever he calls you to go? See, that's the that's story of my life is I, I have, God has continued to prompt my heart to say yes and yes and yes. I, when I first told Pastor Chris I wanted to be in ministry and do the internship program, he asked me this. He, he, he said something to me, and he's a hater for it. Just kidding. I love it. I love him. I love him for it because it encouraged me. This is a mark of a good pastor. I said, I want to be in ministry. He said, that's awesome, bro. What if God calls you to China? And I said, nope. Just kidding. Just kidding. I didn't. But in my heart, I really did. I said, Pastor Chris, you crazy, bro. <laughs> but I love him for that question because it did something in my heart. Caused me to stir, caused me to pray, caused me to seek the Lord. It caused me to look at everything inside of me as what is the plan B's I have? What am I putting as priority? Because if Jesus calls me to China, you know what? What else do I have that's better to go than to go to China? What plan B do I have in my life that's more important than wherever Jesus calls me to go? And I don't think this question is just for pastors. I think this question is for each one of us in the room. Jesus does not call us to conditional Christianity. The gospel calls us to give him everything. See, I think we get too comfortable in, in conditional Christianity. I think we get too comfortable going the places we're comfortable going, and it's a product of our culture that says, do what you want when you want to do it. We get too comfortable going wherever uh, we feel like going, but Jesus says, will you go when you don't know where you're going? Will you go when you don't know what it looks like? Will you go where I've called you to go, even if it's tough? So that's the question tonight, or today. I usually preach at night to your, your students. See, in order to follow Jesus, when you don't know where you're going, he has to be your first priority. Not your second, not your third, your first. See, I want to tell you something. Where your attention is, Jesus wants to get your attention today because where your attention is, so is your priority. And where your priority is, that's where your heart lies. And when your heart lies, your action follows. I'm going to say that again. I think that's good for some of us. Where your attention is, so is your priority. Where your priority is, so is your heart. Where your heart is, your actions follow. What you look at determines what you do. So if your actions aren't lining up with the word of God, it's not because you're a super sinner and just can't follow God and God allows everyone else to do it except for you. That's not it. It's oftentimes because your attention isn't on him. It's your eyes. It's your attention. Can you fix your attention on him? You're not a super sinner. God gives you the grace to walk out of it. I love the story of Joseph we just walked through because his life is an example of a man who never took his attention off of God even, though every, even through everything he went through. He never developed, Joseph never developed a plan B mindset. I wanna challenge you guys today because there's plenty of people who have walked with Jesus but ended up with a plan B mindset. I'll give you one example is a man named Judas. Y'all know Judas? Walked with Jesus for three years but at the very end had a plan B mindset. He had something he could go to when times got tough. Church attendance is not giving Jesus your everything. Giving Jesus your everything supersedes just coming in this building. Being around Jesus is not the same as giving him your all. You don't need the hype. You don't need the perfect kids. You don't need the boyfriend or girlfriend. You don't need the raise. You don't need the house, three cars, and a boat. What you need is you need Jesus. You don't need Jesus and things. You don't need Jesus to give you things. You do not need a genie. You need to abide and sit with him as John 15 says. The vine, the rock of ages, the alpha and the omega, the
this generation. We have plenty of stuff, but we don't have Him. We have everything in this country that we could ever need, but we don't have Him. And then people wonder why it's a mess. It's not because we don't have the finances. It's because we don't have Him. And can I tell you something today? There's people all around you who need you to need Him. There's people all around you who need you to have no plan B. (laughs) There's people around you, cousins, coworkers, friends, family members who need you to have no plan B. How do I know? Because I needed Victor to have no plan B. I was that hurting, broken 17-year-old who needed someone to reveal the one to me. We need him. And Ephesians 1 says, inside of you lives the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. See, I think from a young age we know this, but do we believe it? See, a lot of us know that, but do we believe it? Because believing it will cause everything in your life to change. Because if you believe that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you, you would not have a plan B. And I want to encourage you in something today and challenge you a little bit. Sometimes plan B isn't necessarily sin or or, or bad behavior, but sometimes what it is is it's distraction. It's putting your attention on something other than him. If you could throw up that last passage back up there. Uh, 59, 59, yep, there he is. He said to another man, see the first man says to Jesus, the second man, Jesus says to him, follow me. But Jesus Jesus told him, follow me. The the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Anyone ever read that and be like, dang, Jesus, that's kind of harsh. Let the, is it just me? Let the man bury his father, you know what I'm saying? Like, But this man's situation, when you read the Bible in the proper context, is a little bit different. For starters, scholars say that this man's father probably was not dead yet. See, in Jesus' day, this statement meant something different, had a completely different meaning than, would, than it would have meant today. If someone today said that, it would have been because their father was dead. But, but Billy Graham wrote an article. He wrote a quote on this passage. He explains what the man is really saying is this, Jesus, I will follow you, but first let me stay with my father until he dies. And I'm not sure how long that will take, but once that happens, then I will bury him. And once I bury him, then I will come follow you. And, and scholars actually believe there's something else he might have been considering is in Jewish culture, everything that's, that is the father's becomes the son's. So he might have actually been um, waiting for his inheritance. Ah, So what he's actually saying to Jesus is, Jesus, I will follow you, but first let me get the money that's coming to me. Let me get myself right. Let me get everything around me right, and then I'll follow you and give you everything. And that's why Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim. Lord, I have some money coming to me and and once I get everything else around me all nice, then I'll follow you and give me everything. I think there's many believers even in this church that say, once everything around me is perfect, then I'll give all. I'll give some now, but I'll give all in a little bit. But can I tell you that's a lie? See, we think plan B is a safety net, but it's actually a trap of the devil. We think our plan B is safety. It's a trap. 
your plan B, the devil will use it to kick, kick down the road and kick down the road and kick down the road. I'll give my life to him soon enough. I'll give my life to him soon enough. And sooner or later, your 16-year-old is a mess and you don't know why. It's because you didn't give yourself to him. Parents, as the youth pastor of this house, can I tell you, oh, can I tell you that your kids need to see you give everything? Not perfect action. Give your heart. There's a difference. They don't need to see you be perfect, but they need to see you when you mess up, repent, and come back to the Father. God does not require perfect behavior and perfect, but he requires us to follow him completely. See, I think God is calling us to live with no, no safety net. What, Matthew 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added to you. Someone say, and then. See, oftentimes I think what we do is we seek first everything else, and then we try to add God in. But God does not want your seconds. God does not want to fit in where he can fit in. God wants all of you. And it's not mean, it's his love. Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads man to repentance. It does not mean that God wants all of you. He wants all of you because he knows he's the only thing that, he's the only one that can heal you. He wants all of you because he's trying to free you. Because if you don't give all to him, you will stay stuck and in bondage and in the snare of the enemy that's, that has a plan B mindset. So I'm gonna do an altar call in a minute, but I, 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 wanna, I wanna encourage you this. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 20 years or 20 minutes, we can still have a plan B if we don't give him everything. If you wanna decide today to live with no plan B, we're gonna do an altar call in a minute. See, I really believe God has called us to see a harvest of people in the Central Valley. Lathrop, Stockton, Lodi, Manteca, Tracy, Modesto, all around. God has positioned this body. God has positioned this church to reach a region. I believe that with all my heart and that's why your story matters. But can I tell you, we will not see it if we all have a plan B. It doesn't matter how fire the preaching is and how great the worship is. If the body lives with the plan B, we will not see the harvest. That's why I love this series because your story matters. You have access into the lives that I don't, uh, lives of people that I don't, that Pastor Chris doesn't, that Pastor Maribel doesn't, that Pastor Juan doesn't. You have access into the lives of people and they need to hear the gospel from you. I didn't come running to church, I came and saw one. I came and saw Victor who knew him. Can I tell you today that God is equipping you to live with no plan B? And so I wanna do this, if everyone can stand with me, come on. Thank you again for tuning into our podcast. For more info, please visit our website at thrivelathrop.com. Have an amazing rest of your week.